Praise the Lord. Are we good to go? You know, I, <clears throat> I just want to say this. Uh, you know, Pastor Cindy touched on something that you guys are not here uh, by accident, but rather by divine appointment. And, you know, um, I don't know what's going on in your, in your lives. Obviously, I like to keep myself separate so that I can preach freely without knowing what's going on because I don't want somebody to think, well, he's talking about me because he counseled with me. So, fortunately, I don't know what's going on. And I just want to say that I honestly believe the Holy Spirit has given me something to continue uh, with as a part two. But he was sharing with me that uh, people sitting here today are actually in prison, actually in prison. People listening are actually in prison, and that prison is a prison of offense. Uh, that's, uh, they've been offended, and they've been taken captive by the devil. They may not know that they're in prison. They might not understand or realize that they're in prison. They may not even be interpreting what's happening in their life as being a result of the fact that Satan has taken them captive. But the Holy Spirit is going to reveal this to you this morning. So I really ask you to be open, uh, examine your own heart as we go through the teaching this morning, and perhaps the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on your life and your heart, and the reason he'd be doing that is to bring you out of the prison that you're in. You understand that? He wants to bring you out. God wants to deliver. God wants to set you free so that you can uh, live the life that he wants you to live. So we're talking about offense and forgiveness, and this is part two. Just to remind you, uh, the Greek word for the word offense is the word scandalon. And scandalon is that part of the bait uh, of the trap where they actually put the bait on. So it is a baited trap. And what Satan does is he brings an offense to you which is an opportunity for you to take the bait and then get caught in the trap. And if that happens, he will cause you to walk in a Christian life that, is, that you'll be stumbling. You'll be wondering what's going on in your Christian life, and you won't understand that he has taken you captive. So your Christian life will be hindered. All right? So please be aware of that. Last week, or last time I spoke, I mentioned the story of when Jesus uh, tells the parable of the, uh, the two uh, servants, the one who owed him, owed the master so much money he could never repay it. It was just beyond repayment, and the master forgave him because he asked. And then that servant went out and grabbed another servant by the throat, threw him in prison, wanted to sell his family off, and he only owed him like 100 days' wages. It was a small amount. And then when the master found out what had happened, he reinstated the debt of the first one that he had forgiven and then threw that one into prison and said that you're going to be tormented. And then he, he finishes it off by saying that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like and this is what my heavenly Father is going to do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Those are not my words. Those are Jesus' words. And he said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Then I want to let you know that offenses predominantly come in two ways. Somebody will say something to you or do something to you that you permit to offend you. You must understand something. You permit what they do or what they say to offend you. And then 
you will harbor that hurt in your heart. Say harbor. What happens is that you give that hurt a protective place in your heart. You literally protect it. You protect it. So you get injured, you get hurt, something happens, and then you put that in your heart. You're allowed to come into your heart. So that's the first way that it happens. The second one is unfulfilled expectations. This is when you're expecting something to do, somebody to do something for you, and they don't do it. Whether you told them that you wanted them to do it or not. So, for example, some of the mothers might have been expecting flowers, either from their children or their husband, last week on Mother's Day. And then maybe they didn't get the flowers. So that is a potential for them to think, boy, I got offended at that. Why wouldn't they? I expected. But do they know that you like flowers? Do they even think? Do they even think about that? See, in, in Jackie's room at home, you'd have thought we were living in a florist. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I couldn't even pick flowers out of the garden for her. There was that many flowers. Anybody who knows her sent her flowers. Okay? That's because they know she loves flowers. So sometimes we expect something from somebody and they don't do it. And then it's an opportunity to get offended. Now, I'm going to read you a testimony from uh, a girl, B. Harris. This testimony uh, is in my new book, which I've just completed right now. It's at the editing stage, and it's called Financial Guide for Believers. And this is one of the testimonies that's right in the beginning of my book. So let me read it to you. This is in her own words, of course. It's a story about drug abuse. It's a story about abortion and then salvation. She, she starts off with this beautiful scripture in Ezekiel chapter 36, and she says, uh, the scripture goes like this, I will give you a new heart, I will give you new and right desires, and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony hearts of sin and give you new hearts of love, and I will put my spirit within you so that you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. So she says, God's grace begins from death to life. From trying to commit suicide at the age of 13 because I hated my life and wanted the mental, sexual, and physical abuse to stop. To thanking my God in heaven that he kept me alive so that I might be able to help others with my story. From hating myself and all who were around me to asking my Lord to show me how to love as he loves. From hating all who had hurt me and caused me deep emotional pain, to asking my Father to forgive them as he has forgiven me. From feelings of unworthiness to knowing and feeling I am precious and valuable in God's sight. From seeing the grim reaper with his sickle in hand in my very bedroom in his black cape, to having a vision of Jesus holding me in his arms like a little baby and telling me everything will be okay and feeling peace as I'd never known before. From holding a 357 Magnum in my hand, intent on shooting a very abusive man, he had beaten me and put me in hospital with broken ribs and a black and blue face, to holding a Bible 
in my hand and reaching for my Lord when I have a problem. I pick up a Bible now instead of a gun. From living with a couple of drug dealers to living with God's Spirit inside me, God's Spirit makes a much better roommate. From doing acid to alter my state of mind so I wouldn't have to face the pain I felt, to asking my father for his help to alter my mind his way, renewing my mind with the word of God so I can think his way. From putting dirty needles full of crystal meth, PCP, and reds into my arm to putting my father's word into my very soul. From, taking, uh, from not talking to my mother for over three years, she stabbed my stepfather on my wedding day to calling her and forgiving her. From going through one divorce and having an abortion before I came to Christ, and this is still hard on me, to asking my Father God to help me minister with all my heart to any child that may come across my path. From feeling, how could God ever love me? To knowing that God can use me in very powerful ways only known to Him. Thank you, Pastor Henry, for sharing the love of Jesus with me. B. Harris. Holding on to an offense causes you to be cut off from the anointing. Remember when Jesus went to his own hometown and he couldn't do any mighty works there and the Bible says they took offense at him? It wasn't that he, God, wouldn't do any mighty works. He tried. It said he couldn't. And the reason he couldn't is because they were offended at him. So the anointing is cut off if you're walking and living in offense. And then it causes doubt, unbelief, and confusion. Remember John the Baptist when he was in prison had to send some of his disciples to ask Jesus whether he was the one to come? And remember I explained to you that John the Baptist was the one who was at Jesus' water baptism. He heard the voice from heaven. He knew Jesus. He was the forerunner for Jesus. And yet at this late stage in his life, he is confused and he's in doubt as to whether Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Why? Jesus says when he sends his disciples back and tells him, blessed is he who is not offended at me. So Jesus lets us know that John had got into offense. Offense causes hate and it causes anger. Offense will cause you to lose your peace and your joy. Offense gives the devil a door into your life and he will beat you to death if you let him. Offense puts you in prison. Now, I'm going to give you three questions that you can use to find out whether you are harboring an offense. You want them? You want to know? You want to do a personal test? Say, so, uh, Let me see how many wants to do the personal test. That's not enough. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. So let's do this personal test, okay? So the first question you ask yourself is this. If I should see the person that offended me, how would I react? And to be honest with yourself, because obviously... If somebody's offended, you know who it is. The second question is this. If I hear about this person, how do I react? The first one is if I see them. The second one is if I hear about them, how do I react? And the third question is this. How do I talk about that person? 
Three questions. Ask yourself that, and you'll find out how you're doing. So I'm going to tell you a story um, about a pastor couple that we had in South Africa. Their name is Jan and Mimpi Fanta. Um, and it's a strange name for you guys, but anyway. So they came to our church in early, early time. We just started the church. And uh, they got filled with the Spirit, baptized. I believe they were already Christian. They were already saved when they came to the church. And then they went to our Bible college. And uh, Jan was an excellent teacher. And because his home language was Afrikaans, as you know, there's the two major languages with English and Afrikaans. His home language was Afrikaans. And the area of Valcom, the city of Valcom, is predominantly Afrikaans speaking. So it was a unique situation where I was an English speaker in an Afrikaans uh, culture and society. But because of this, he soon became a pastor with our church because he was able to communicate with the Afrikaans people on their level. And he was awesome. He, was, he honestly was the best Afrikaans teacher of the Word of God I've ever heard. I, I was that impressed uh, with his abilities. And then what happened is, um, uh, we, I mean, this was only in, I think, our second year that we were there. Our church had already grown to about four or 500 people, and we were meeting in a movie house. And uh, he came to me and he said, the Afrikaans people would like to hear the teaching in their own language. Made sense. So we rented another church. We still continued me in the movie house. We rented another church, and about 200 people went over that were part of the Afrikaans community that went out. Now, you might understand something. These people that went do not speak English. They could understand it, but they couldn't speak it. So they went over, and then uh, it wasn't six months later that I heard that Jan wanted to start his own church. And so I spoke with him about this, and uh, unfortunately, I was told that it was the, actually the Afrikaans community, the congregation, that wanted to be separate. So what happened was that we had a terrible church split. It was devastating. And this was only 18 months into the church. And it just, I mean, it was devastating. So uh, he went off, went to another part of the city, and um, his church, unfortunately, didn't grow because if you split a church, it's not of God, it's not going to grow. His church dwindled from 200 down to 20 people. And right about that time, I wasn't really keeping tabs on it. Right about that time, I had a, a, a thing I was seeking God about. I wanted to know something, and I'll tell you about that in another sermon. But what happened is I went away to fast and pray, I uh, went away on the Monday till the Friday to set myself aside. And I went to a very remote campground. Remote in South Africa means remote. Um, it means like mud huts, okay? No electricity. So we're not talking uh, Holiday Inn, um, six, you know, uh, Motel 6 will keep the lights on for you. There were no lights. And the second day I'd been fasting and praying, that night I had a dream and I dreamt of Yum. Uh, in my dream, I was walking down the, the sidewalk in the city, and I saw him approaching me. And when he approached me, I crossed over to the other side. Obviously, I didn't want to speak with him. And I crossed to the other side. And the next morning, I prayed. In my prayer time, I said, Lord, how come that I, I, I had that dream about Yam? And the Lord said to me, because you haven't forgiven him. I said, wait a minute. I haven't even seen him in two years. You know, I thought I'd forgiven him. But I had spoken about him often. 
often because what happened was, a con- you know, it bothered me a lot. And so I had spoken about it when people asked. Um, so um, I prayed, obviously, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to forgive him again. And that night I had another dream. This time I was in an office setting somewhere. And I was in there and Jan walked into the office. And I walked out the office. So the next morning I said, Lord, why did I have that dream? I forgave him yesterday. And the Lord said to me, Holy Spirit said to me, because you didn't forgive him from your heart. I go, this is like, this is more than once or twice I'm trying to forgive this guy, and you are not recognizing that I have forgiven him. <laughs> so I prayed fervently to forgive him. Oh, God, you know, seriously, I forgive him. A week later, I was driving my car past the front of our church, and Jan is driving his car in the opposite direction. I hadn't seen him in two years. And we wave at each other, watching the rearview mirror. We both pulled off, backed our cars up, got out of our cars, and hugged on the side of the road. Jan wept and repented to me. And he said, I want to apologize to you. And I found out that I was supposed to support your vision, and you were supposed to minister to both English and Afrikaans people. And I'm sorry for what happened. We restored our relationship. He then began studying the second year Bible college, and we had a number of very good meals together, the four of us. I'll tell you another story. In 1997, we're now here in San Diego, and uh, we had the church Harvest for Christ, and we decided that we, I, decided that I want to reach the unchurched people. So we started a second service along the lines of a community-type service where we had uh, special, special uh, music and items and movie clips and uh, drama skits and special lighting. How many were there? And remember those. Wave your hand at me. Just look around. You see these people with their hands up? They were there. That was fun. Those were great services. I loved them. Anyway, some of the Pentecostal people were not happy with my evangelical strategy. And they left. One of our prominent elders and department heads waited one Sunday morning as I was about to step up on the stage to go and preach. Uh, he said, Pastor Henry, I want to talk with you. I said, oh, what is it? What is it? He said, um, I'm leaving the church, taking my family with, and uh, this is our last service. Well, you know, he obviously waited for the most strategic time to make the most impact, to cause the most pain on me as I'm about to walk up and, and minister. In those days, I didn't speak to anybody before I preached. I stayed in the back room, didn't speak with anybody, came through into worship and then straight on the stage. Just so that didn't happen. Well, no, that's not the reason. But then I didn't want people to come talk with me about and take my mind off what I believe Holy Spirit's telling me. Anyway, so I got a gut punch Right there, I was completely winded. I walked to the podium, literally dizzy, because we were house friends. We were house friends. It wasn't just, you know, somebody that I, that I from time to time would see their, their face and think, well, um, I sought God uh, with tears to forgive those people that were doing this to me, 
and also him. And it took months for me to get over this, only to find out that I hadn't forgiven him. Even though I thought I had, and even though I tried. So let me tell, me, let me tell you how I found out. One day I was in shopping at Home Depot. It was a rainy winter day, so I had a nice raincoat on me and stuff. And in the next aisle, I saw this man. So I pulled my raincoat up as far as possible to cover my face. And I pulled my golf cap down over my face. And I left the cart that was filled with stuff I'd been shopping. And I slinked away. And by the time I got to the front door, he was in the checkout line. So I had to do this to get out the checkout line. And I got to my car and I began to weep. And I wept because of the offense and the fact that I had not forgiven him because I thought I had. And only when I saw him did all those feelings come back. And I realized that I was, I was caught. I was in a prison. And so right there, I prayed and I fervently forgave him. About a month later, I was shopping here at Major Market. Now, back in those days, we used to do our own shopping, obviously. Cindy wasn't helping us in those days. And nor was Ashley. So I was doing some shopping in Major Market. And suddenly in the same aisle as me, I saw this gentleman. And I called his name out. And he turned and he saw me. And we hugged each other, which would look funny, right there in Major Market. Ten years later, 11 years later, he and his wife joined the Promised Church and were members here for about a year. We were restored. So I can tell you from first-hand experience what it feels like. Now, I'm going to give you five things that you can do to avoid being offended. Number one, don't get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Number one, refuse, refuse to take offense. It's commonly said, I take offense to that. Well, then you obviously have a choice. You don't have to take offense to it. You see, an offense occurs, once an offense occurs, it can't be taken back even if the person apologizes. Even if they change their ways, it must be forgiven. Now, I want to imagine for a moment that Pastor Brian says something to me um, or does something and it offends me. Brian, come here. So he offends me. This is the offense. So I have a choice. I can take the offense or I can leave it with him. So I choose to take the offense and harbor it right in my heart. You can sit down now. (laughs) See? Suddenly my attitude changed. I'm not so loving and kind to him anymore. So now I walk around with the offense in my heart. Nobody else can see it because my attitude is just the same. I'm not depressed or angry or talk badly to people. 
I just take Brian with me on vacation into every meal I go to because all I do is talk about him. So, 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, Love takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Say this out loud with me. Take no account. You see, no one can offend you without your permission. You have to allow it. You actually have to accept it. You see, <clears throat> Brian could have spat at me like I do in the front row when I preach. <laughs> but he could have spat at me. And then I have a choice. I could have said, Brian... You are an amazing spitter. How accurate are you? That's phenomenal. You should go in a spitting competition. Or I could spit back at him. And we could start a fight because there's no gas. Did you see that on TV? Some of you didn't. You look at me like, what happened? Here, two people in the line trying to get gas on the East Coast. One spits at the other one, the other one spits back at them, and they start a fight. Anyway, so we could have done that. But on the other hand, I didn't have to. You see, taking offense is not about the person who hurt me. It is only about my response. It has nothing to do with what they say, what they do, or how they let you down. It is how you react to what they did. It's about your response. It is not about them. Therefore, if Pastor Brian now realizes I've been offended, and he apologizes, and he says, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I take it back. Can he take it back? Once it's out, once he's done, once he's said it, can he take it back? Or am I offended? I am offended because I choose to be offended. Whether he apologizes, he says, I'm going to fast and pray for a whole week to change my ways. And I go, go ahead and starve, brother. I don't care. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you try and fix it up. It's too late. I am offended. Well, I'm going to leave the church. Good. Don't let the door hit you on your way out. Am I changed? Am I still offended? Yes, I'm still offended. It doesn't matter what he does. It matters how I respond, even if he apologizes. You get it? Very, very important. You see, there's a defense mechanism that we have that stems from the desire to be right. Or to be justified. And it's actually the root cause of that response is pride. Pride prevents a person from taking no account to a suffered wrong. See, I'm not, I am justified. This is what I, the offended person feels. I am justified to feel this way. Because I'm right. That's why I'm justified. So, if you're making notes, write the following statement down. What is perceived 
is reality. What is perceived is reality. How a person perceives something to them, it is reality. If you perceive that you were wronged in your mind, it is a reality to you. You were wronged, and that's all there is. And what's more, you can't be spoken out of it because it's your reality. You can't be spoken out of it. You must forgive the person in order to alter your perception. Your perception doesn't change first and then you forgive them. You have to forgive them to alter your perception. Look at this scripture. In Proverbs 3, verse 10, uh, Proverbs 13, 10, the, the Living Translation, New Living Translation says this. Pride leads to conflict. You notice that the center letter in pride is I. It's all about me. The same scripture in the NIV says pride only breeds quarrels. And then in the BBE uh, uh, Bible, it says the only effect of pride is fighting. Say that with me. Conflict, quarrels, fighting. You see, that is the outcome. Pride does not compromise. Pride does not forgive. And therein is your problem. Pride will not forgive. Remember the progression I gave you? Starts with being hurt, and then it becomes an offense. And the offense, through pride, causes anger. And anger turns to unforgiveness, and unforgiveness turns to hatred. So stop the plans of the devil. The devil wants to take you captive. Stop. Shut the door in his face. Shut the door. Don't allow the devil to proceed in your life through this baited trap that he has set for you. So number one, refuse to take offense. Number two, remind yourself of Jesus' words. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Number three, restrict your thoughts. Only think the best. Philippians 4.8 says, Brothers, continue to think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. In other words, take every thought captive that causes pain, that causes anger, that causes unforgiveness or hate. When you think about the person that did this thing to you, and that thought comes in and it causes a reaction, immediately say, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to put that thought in prison. I'm not going to entertain that thought. I'm not going to allow that to dominate my mind. I'm going to reject it. Number four, reflect on God's love. Reflect on God's love. In other words, walk in love with the family of God. 1 John 2.10 says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. There's no cause for stumbling. Now, we know that if it's light, you can see and you, don't have to and you won't stumble. But I want to propose to you, since the Bible is a 
two-edged sword, perhaps another facet of the diamond that the Scripture here says, if you love your brother, you abide in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling. But if you hate your brother, there's a cause for stumbling. Or if you're offended by your brother or you won't forgive your brother, there's a cause for stumbling. So unforgiveness and offense causes you to stumble, even though you think you're walking in the light. You don't realize that you're stumbling, that you're groping, that the devil has got you caught. Now, hear me carefully. I've been a pastor for over 40 years. That's a long time. We are very vulnerable to being hurt by Christians. Because our hearts are open. We open our hearts to to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we don't wear a protective shield. We open our hearts and we just like, they're going to love me back and I'm going to love them. And you don't expect somebody to say or do something to you that's going to be hurtful. You're just not expecting it. So you get blindsided. It's unexpected when it happens. So you have to be very careful and very cautious when you, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Walk in love, not only with God's family, but walk in love with those that are not saved. I'm not saying love the world. It's not talking about the world system. I'm talking about the people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the people. So be careful when you're out there not to cause somebody else to be offended at you. Love them. Number five, resist, resist resentment. Don't allow offense to ferment. Is that good? It takes a long time for me to come up with these things. I used to be good at it when I was young. Don't allow offense to ferment. It'll turn into resentment. Job 5, can anything good come out of Job? Verse 2, resentment kills a fool. Job 36.13, the godless in heart harbor resentment. I'm harboring it. I'm wearing it like a badge of honor. I feel justified. I'm the one that's right. If you only knew the details, you would agree with me. You would get offended with me. I'm harboring this thing in my heart. But resentment is going to kill me. It's going to kill me. Now, I'm not suggesting that once you have forgiven this person, that you become buddies. You may have been buddies. But that doesn't mean you need to bring them into your circle of life. Hear me out. If you are free from the offense, you can choose not to fellowship with them any further. Boy, it's awful quiet in this synagogue this morning. Shush. Some of you don't believe God brought you here now. But he did. He did. He did. People are going to, and the devil's going to use people to offend or to try and get you offended. 
all the time. Yep, it's going to happen. But you have got to learn to live above it. You have got to learn to live out of that trap. You have got to learn. And once you have forgiven the person and you know in your heart it's settled, how will you respond when you see them? Will you run and hide in Home Depot with a cap on? Will you dream about them? Would you be willing to hug them? Would you be willing to let it go and to live your life free from that prison? I'm not suggesting now after that you become house friends. You understand what I'm saying? Please understand me. It is possible to forgive and maybe not to forget but not to have the pain when you remember. If you don't have the pain when you remember, you know you've forgiven them. Well, my time's up. I'm going to have pick this up next time I talk. So what about me giving you the five things again real quick? Number one, refuse to take offense. Number two, remind yourself of Jesus' words. Number three, restrict your thoughts. Number four, reflect on God's love. And number five, resist resentment. Amen? 